Heavenly Father, of course there's useful things in here because it's your vision. It doesn't matter how many times we look at it, Father, it's yours and therefore it is glorious and magnificent and its depths are never, and its richness is never ending. And so, Father, we pray this morning that your spirit will do his work among us, that we might see the vision you have given us to look at, that we might see it clearly, sharply, in focus. And, Father, seeing it, we pray that our hearts might burst with joy and that we might be moved to live in the light of it this year and next year as individuals, as a church, every year until the day when the vision finds its fulfilment. And Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 6 confronts us with terrifying picture of the unfolding of God's judgment against this present sinful age. Uh, The scroll of history in chapter 6 is being unrolled to its end as the seven seals that close it are progressively undone. It reveals a picture of war and natural disasters that gets increasingly more frightening with each seal until the sixth seal is broken and even the most powerful of human leaders are begging the mountains to fall on them. They would rather be squashed flat under tons of concrete than continue to face the ferocious judgment of God. And those powerful leaders cry out in the very last verse of chapter 6. Do you see what they cry out? If you've got your Bible there, flick back the page and you should have your Bible there. Um, Last verse of chapter 6. The great day of wrath has come. And who can stand? To them it appears that the judgment of God is all-consuming and that nobody and nothing will possibly escape its fire. And then you expect to see the seventh, the final seal broken. But instead, in chapter 7, you get this abrupt change of scene. Before the finality of his judgment is unleashed, God interrupts the flow to answer the question, who could stand? There are people for whom the unfolding of God's plan will not end in terrible judgment, but in joyful celebration. Then in the first half of chapter 7, God places his seal upon his people. He seals the exact number of them and every single one of them will stand firm in their faith to the end. Some of them will be murdered for it but they will die as martyrs who have have held the faith to their final breath no matter what temptation or pressure was thrown at them. And then in our passage from 7 verse 9, we get a vision of how the story of history ends for God's sealed people. And what do we see in this vision? We see this great crowd of humanity from, will you tell me, where are they from? From every every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. 
this great crowd of humanity from everywhere. And what is the first thing that we are told they are doing? They are standing. Where are they standing? Before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They are standing in the presence of the very God and Messiah whose judgment it seemed nobody could stand before in Revelation 6. And what are they doing while they stand there? They're celebrating. That's what they're doing. They're celebrating. They're dressed in white robes of victory. They've got their party clothes on. And they're waving palm branches. It's the equivalent to waving the flag like a crazy person at the football because your team just won. Lucky. Um, It's an expression of joy and celebration. Which is the same reason they're crying out in a loud voice. Like excited fans when their team's just won. What are they so joyful about? What are they celebrating so enthusiastically? The God they know as Saviour. The God they know as Saviour. We hear it in what they actually cry in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They celebrate who God is. They will never experience the horrors of Revelation 6 because God is not their enemy, he is their saviour. And they love him for it and they celebrate him for it and they worship him for it. Their view of God is the view of the heavenly host in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. They celebrate God's glory and wisdom and power. They count him as worthy of all praise, all thanks, all honour. What does it mean that God is their saviour? What does it mean that God is their saviour? Well, I'm going to talk about four things. Firstly, it means that he has washed them clean of sin. He has washed them clean of sin. And so in verse 13, John doesn't know who all these people are and so the heavenly elder tells him, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Earlier in Revelation, in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Jesus is described as him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. God sent Jesus as the sacrificial lamb who would give his life in atonement for sin. All of us deserve the horror of Revelation 6 because of the sin that has enslaved our hearts. Left to ourselves, all of us would stand before God clothed in sin, stained rags, soiled with evil, kind of adorned with blasphemy. These guys in the great multitude, they know their robes used to be like that. They knew what they deserved. They knew that they'd also belonged in that terrible picture of Revelation 6. But they'd come to the sacrificial lamb and his atoning blood had washed them clean. It's a, it's a bizarre image, isn't it? Dirty, filthy robes dumped in a washing machine filled with blood and they miraculously come out shiny white. Like, that's a bizarre image. But when you understand what it represents, what it represents for you, 
It's a beautiful image. The son came willingly from the father to be the sacrificial lamb who shed his blood to rescue us from the horror that the, sorry, the horror of thoroughly deserved judgment and to give us a home with God. The unworthy made worthy to eat from Eden's tree again, to find a home in the new Jerusalem. It's awesome. But there's more that we can say about these white robes. If you read on in Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, you get this picture of the church clothed in robes of finest linen, shiny. And then it says, The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And so the other thing to see is that we're being shown a future where our sins are forgiven, but also where they're gone. I've been a Christian, I turned 50 just the other week, so apparently it's the right time to be turning 50, all the best people are. Um, I've been a Christian for 40 years. Do you know what's really frustrating about the Christian life? Sin. Every day I have sin to confess. Every day I need to seek God's strength to overcome sin. I never get here to church on a Sunday and go, we can skip the prayer of confession this week because I got nothing. Never happens. Now, I know my sin is forgiven. I don't doubt my salvation because I trust in the blood of Christ. But I'm sure that my sin is ugly. It's offensive to God. And so it's ugly and offensive to me. And I don't want it to be part of my life anymore. But every single day it's still part of my life. Until that day of the great multitude. Then not just the guilt of sin will be gone. The experience of sin will be gone. That day is the day of my resurrection. And from that day forward, I will be incapable of sin. And so will all those millions of people around me. In the end, God will save us from both the guilt of sin and the experience of sin. Who could not sing his praises knowing that? What does it mean that God is our saviour? He washes us clean. Secondly, he leads us into our true purpose. He leads us into our true purpose. Have a look at what the elders says next in verse 15. He says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Those who've been washed clean are fit to serve in the presence of a holy God. And that's what they do 24-7 for all eternity. Their lives are spent in the service and worship of God and they delight in it and they celebrate it because it is the purpose for which we were all created. And when we live the lives that we were designed for, we find real joy. This is the point where people always ask me, well, Craig, what does it actually physically look like to worship God 24-7 for all eternity? Like, is it like singing all day, every day? 
Some of you are going, yeah. Some of you are going, mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it like a never-ending wedding reception or something? Are there outdoor jobs to do like they were in Eden? Like, well, I, don't, I do not know exactly what it looks like. Revelation is a bunch of wacky imagery, right? I do not know exactly what it looks like. But you know what I do know? Every single person among the millions in that great crowd, every single one of them is thrilled to be doing it. There isn't some guy in the corner going, yeah, this is not really my thing. You know, I thought we'd be doing something cooler than this. The guy's not there. And so if you're one of those people who worry, and sometimes people tell me they worry about this. You know, if I'm serving God day and night, his temple forever. Like, am I ever going to find it a drag and a chore? Is it going to get boring? Just look at the crowd. See how excited they all are to be doing it. See what joy it brings every single one of them. God's, God's got it. It's okay. What does it mean that God is our saviour? He washed us clean, he washes us clean, he leads us into our true purpose. Thirdly, he delivers us from all suffering once and for all. He delivers us from all suffering once and for all. In verse 14, the elder describes the great multitude as they who have come out of the great tribulation. Tribulation just means trouble or difficulty and it's used at various points in Revelation to describe the suffering of God's people at the hands of God's enemies. And people over the years have done some weird things with this expression and, and so feel free to ask a question at question time. But the great tribulation in Revelation is just Revelation's way of talking about the suffering that God's people experience at the hands of God's enemies. Now in our moment of history, in our little corner of the world, our experience of tribulation is very mild, yeah? That's changing, but for us at the moment, it's, you know, maybe disparaging comments, problems at work, maybe annoying discrimination by overreaching petty bureaucrats, which gets reversed when people go to court anyway. Our experience of the Great Tribulation very rarely involves more than the weariness that goes with not fitting in and being regularly misrepresented and misunderstood. Most Christians, of course, do not live in the West. And for many, their experience much more closely echoes the tribulation of the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, if you know Revelation. An NGO report was published in 2018 which concluded that the persecution of Christians is today worse than at any time in history. And many brothers and sisters elsewhere in the world know what great tribulation means. Now, some some have fallen away because of it. Some have stood firm in the face of it and paid the ultimate price. That happens today, as it did for that first generation of Christians and as will continue until the end. And then it ends At the end of verse 15, he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. They live under the protection of God's tent. The scorching heat of tribulation will never bother them again. 
and the protection of that tent, it stretches even, even further. Never again will they hunger or thirst. No hardship, no deprivation, no worrying about how they're going to get by. And then in, look at the very last verse of, the, of our passage. And God will, you tell me, what will God do? God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's not just the tribulation of persecution that is gone for that great multitude. Every suffering, every pain, every heartbreak, every trouble, gone. All suffering, once and for all, gone. What's your, don't tell me, but what's your greatest fear, your deepest anxiety, your hardest thing? gone what makes you most sad gone what's your heaviest burden gone do you see why we will celebrate with such joy what does it mean that God is saviour it means he will deliver us from all suffering once and for all Fourth dimension, final dimension. Don't get too excited. There's another thing to come. Fourth and final dimension though. They celebrate God as saviour because he has led them to sweet and quenching eternal life. He has led them to sweet and quenching eternal life. Verse 17. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. Again, it's funny. The lamb is also the shepherd. He's not a modern Australian shepherd chasing the sheep on his quad bike. He's an ancient Middle Eastern shepherd leading his sheep from the front, calling to them so that they follow his voice as he leads them to the water of life. Jesus, who died for us, rose to lead us to eternal life. Life that's forever and life that is better. Sometimes people have trouble imagining that life could get better than what we enjoy here on the edge of the leafy upper north shore of Sydney. Uh, We have more wealth than 98% of the world. Peace and stability, lots of amenities and things to do. Apart from a slightly smoother run to the beach, how could life possibly get better? I pray we don't need God to send us the unexpected diagnosis or the financial ruin or the family heartbreak that would quickly expose how tenuous and fleeting are even the best of blessings in this world. That would reveal the delusion of earthly security. The life that Jesus leads us into is better than even the best moments of life in this world. It is the life truly worth celebrating. This is the magnificent vision that God gives us in Revelation 7. God's people, at the end of this age, joyously 
celebrating God, their Saviour, who's washed them clean, revelling in their true purpose as they serve him 24-7, deeply at peace because every tribulation and suffering is gone, completely delighted in the life that Jesus has led them into. This is a vision of us. This is a vision of us at the end of all things if we stick with Jesus all the way. Do you know why we're given the vision? To shape how we live now while we wait for that day. In what ways should this vision shape us? This is really the final section. I think there are four things in it. They're only short. In what ways should this vision shape us? Firstly, it should lead us to resist and overcome the temptations and pressures we face every day to dim our devotion to Jesus. It should lead us to overcome, to resist and overcome the temptations and pressures we face every day to dim our devotion to Jesus. Revelation was written originally to people who were at risk of living the middle part of Jesus' parable, the four soils. You know the parable? Yeah, some of you do. They were at risk, those first believers, they were at risk of being the soil that was baked by the fierce heats of persecution and the weeds and the thorns of worldly concerns were creeping around their hearts and choking the spiritual life out of them. The whole book was given to call them to resist those things, to stand firm in the face of them and to keep following the Lamb and honouring God. But not just for them, for us. That's for us. When you refuse to wear the blasphemous T-shirt or pin at work and it costs you a performance review time, You need this vision of what God has in store to remind you why that humiliation is worth it. When all of your peers have all the shiny toys that you don't have because you made Christ Lord of your finances, you need this vision of what God has in store to remind you why it's not even worth thinking about from the perspective of eternity. If your peers treat you as weird or unhinged because you live for Christ and not like them. If that costs you the relationship that you've always longed for, you need this vision of God to remind you the path you've chosen is the better way. This vision should lead us to resist and overcome the temptations and pressures we face every day to dim our devotion to Christ. Secondly, this vision should lead us to devote our lives to the service of God now. It should lead us to devote our lives to the service of God now. I remember once at some training exercise somewhere at some point um, doing, you know, the ice breaking. Am I the only one who hates icebreakers? Anyway, um, doing one of those icebreaker exercises where we were given a question. If you could write a letter to your younger self, what would you tell yourself? Have you ever had to do one of them? And then we had to share them anyway. If you could write a letter to your younger self, what would you tell yourself? There's a sense in which that's what's going on in Revelation 7. Like it's a vision given by Christ, but in this vision our future selves 
are sending us a message by way of their celebration. On that day when we have pure hearts and resurrected bodies, it will be obvious to us that serving God 24-7 for all eternity is where true joy and happiness is found. But that is just as true now. We just struggle to see it sometimes because we live in this flesh and in this fallen world. So will you listen to the message that your future self is sending you? You are saying to you, there is nothing more worthy of your attention and devotion than serving God. You are saying to you, devote yourself to serving God now. Sacrifice everything else to serve God now because it's awesome. Get up each morning to serve God. Ask yourself each day, how is God going to be glorified in me today? What should my day consist of if I want to glorify God? What should it not consist of? Have I filled my diary with things that are going to glorify God? How does the content of my calendar help me to serve the purposes of God as I will with so much joy on that last day? What time am I frittering away without a thought for the glory and service of God? How do I work to the glory of God? How do I rest to the glory of God? How is this relationship giving glory to God? Is this relationship giving glory to God? This vision should lead us to devote our lives to the service of God now. Thirdly, this vision should drive us to play our part in gathering the great multitude. How did all these people get to be part of that great multitude? Why did they come to wash their robes white in the blood of the Lamb? Someone invited them to. Someone shared their enthusiasm for God and pointed them to the Lamb. That's how you got to be part of it. That's how God draws everybody into it. Don't just rejoice that God is your saviour. Help other people come and see for themselves too. Your lips, your life, they're part of that. The prayers of people who see this vision, the prayers of people who see this vision should be filled with the names of people who they long to see uh, saved. Who we long to see standing there with us on that great day. What better way to serve God than to point others, sorry, than to point out his glory as saviour to other people? What better way to serve God? And how could we not do it if our present selves grasp even a fraction of what our future resurrected selves will grasp thoroughly on that day? God is a glorious saviour. He is. He's done great things for us and he's taking us to a glorious destination. If we grasp that vision which Revelation 7 lays before us, how could we not celebrate him and stand firm for him and serve him and follow the shepherd he sent us to those springs of living water? How could we not do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see it. Help us to see it clearly. Help us to love it. Help us to love you as our saviour. Help us to celebrate you as our saviour. Help us to worship you as our saviour. Thank you for these robes washed white in the blood of the lamb, Father. Thank you. Thank you for cleansing us.
Thank you that one day we are going to get to be who you designed us to be 24-7 without sin getting in the way and mucking stuff up. Thank you that we will serve you with such joy. Father, help us to serve you now and to know the joy of it. Father, when the hard times come, we pray that this vision will help us to stand firm in the face of pressure and temptation of struggle and difficulty of tribulation because we know how the story ends. And Father, we pray that today we will follow the Lamb, the Lamb who is the shepherd because he leads the way to the springs of living water. Father, help us to believe what we will know in our experience perfectly then. Help us to believe it now and so to follow him now and to drink from that living water now as we will perfectly on that last day. Father, may this be our vision today and every day. May it shape every one of our steps and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.